It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, June 13th. This is your KVMR Evening News. Student-led March for Our Lives protests took place across the U.S. this weekend, including in front of the Veterans Memorial Building in Grass Valley. The California Report speaks to several students throughout the state about gun violence prevention. Then, turning to the international arena, a small but determined indigenous search team may have uncovered the bodies of a missing Brazilian indigenous expert and a British journalist in the Amazon rainforest. National Native News has the details coming up. We'll take a look at local news and weather before Sid Brown fills us in on Western Nevada County's state parks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Police were sent to the San Francisco home of State Senator Scott Weiner on Sunday after he received a written death threat filled with hateful language. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, the threat was emailed to members of Senator Weiner's staff, and because of the nature of the message, they called the CHP, who came with a bomb-sniffing dog. Weiner, who has authored several pieces of legislation aimed at protecting the rights of gay and transsexual people, tells the Chronicle he receives threats on a regular basis. San Francisco police say that no threats were found at Wiener's home or office, but the case remains an open and active investigation. Thousands of young people across the country, including here in California, led rallies this weekend calling on elected officials to support gun reform. The March for Our Lives protests are student-led demonstrations that were first organized after the deadly massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida in 2018. After the recent mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, many young people say they don't feel safe going to school. Here's a sample of some of what young people are saying here in California. It's really sad that safety is no longer a right um, and it's, it's kids can't even go to school. It, it makes me want to cry. It just sucks. I can't let this happen and stand around and watch. I really can't. And it's so important that we make sure that we're safe and the world is safe. Today I want to make a world a better place without using violence or guns. Because we want to save lives and we want to save homes. That was Elle McRae, a student at Santa Monica College, speaking to KCAL 9 in Los Angeles, Alex Ibarra, a student at Coliseum College Prep Academy in Oakland, and Paloma Zambrano, a first grader in San Diego County, speaking to CBS 8. Over the weekend, a bipartisan group of senators reached agreement on gun legislation. It includes funds for states to implement red flag laws to remove firearms from potentially dangerous people, money for school safety and mental health resources, and expanded background checks. The bill has not been put into writing yet, but at least two prominent gun safety advocacy groups are backing the legislation. Every Town for Gun Safety and Moms Demand Action express support for the proposal. The Supreme Court's ruling on a Mississippi case that would overturn Roe v. Wade could be announced any day now. With the High Court expected to overturn Roe, states across the country are looking to severely restrict or outright ban access to abortions. That includes California's next-door neighbor, Arizona. So what does this mean for California Planned Parenthood clinics closest to the Arizona state line in Imperial, Riverside, and San Diego counties? Well, they're expecting to help an influx of 
women arriving from Arizona seeking help. Dara Giorgio Johnson is president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest and spoke to the California report. Arizona is preparing for whatever outcome might come their way, including the outcome of abortion becoming highly restricted or even eliminated. So what that looks like is making sure that no matter what happens at the Supreme Court or at their state house, that we are able to provide access to their patients. So we will turn no one away. And we wanna make sure that they have access to the information and the education uh, that they need. Uh, because we know that the people that are disproportionately impacted by this, this law in Arizona uh, that potentially is going to happen and in other states around the country are people of color, our immigrant population, young people, LGBTQ folks. And so they're already facing barriers and we want to make sure we eliminate as many barriers as possible uh, from our, for our Arizona colleagues. So as your Planned Parenthood clinics face a future where more people might be crossing the state line from Arizona and likely some other states as well to get to your clinics, what does preparation look like? It looks like Increasing training to staff for staff, ensuring that they have the support and the resources they need to see more patients. It's ensuring that our facilities are well resourced. Uh, it also looks like making sure we have enough providers, people who provide abortion care, who are actual abortion physicians and advanced practice clinicians, um, ready and prepared to see additional patients if needed. We don't know the scale and the scope of the patients, so it's being adaptive and flexible. Uh, and but it also means ensuring that. We have practical support in place, things like transportation. Can people get to our clinics appropriately? What is our abortion navigation program like? Um, we have a wonderful care coordination program at our Planned Parenthood affiliate that is partnering with the Arizona abortion navigation program. And so we're together thinking about how do you remove as many barriers as possible so that a person who's needing to access an abortion has as much of a seamless experience as they possibly can, given that they've already probably had to confront many barriers. And I assume you're also thinking about security at clinics, right? And uh, actions that might be taken by more militant anti-abortion activists, either from outside of the state or from within California. I think it's an unfortunate reality that as an organization that provides Healthcare. Uh, we have to think about security and security enhancements and protecting our staff and our patients. And we're thinking about that, making sure that we're providing every option and opportunity to protect our staff and our patients. And we do that quite seriously. And unfortunately, in this country, we know we have seen acts of violence uh, and protest, uh, and we know we will continue to see that. All right. That is Dara DeGiorgio Johnson, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest. Thank you for joining us on the California Report. Thank you so much for having me. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that is the California Report for Monday, June 13th, for a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Brazilian indigenous expert Bruno Pereira and British journalist Dom Phillips went missing a week ago while returning from a reporting trip in the Amazon rainforest. Now conflicting reports have emerged about the possibility of their bodies being found. The two faced threats from their work with indigenous tribes monitoring and protecting their land from illegal loggers, miners, and hunters. More details ahead in today's National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick and for Antonia Gonzalez. The National Congress of American Indians placed CEO Dante Desiderio on administrative leave just as the organization starts its mid-year conference in Anchorage. In a written statement, NCAI President Fon Sharp called the timing of the action inopportune, but says, quote, it's necessary and proper to fulfill governance duties and to abide by NCAI's policies and procedures. The statement declined to provide any additional details. NCAI's conference in Alaska is the organization's first in-person conference conference in almost two and a half years. Meanwhile, Indians.com paints a picture of dissatisfaction with NCAI from member tribal leaders and points to an inability to connect with members, slow progress with hiring goals, and continued high staff turnover. NCAI says Desiderio is not separated from the organization and that team leaders from the executive committee will take over day-to-day duties and ensure the mid-year conference continues operations as expected. In Oklahoma, a Cherokee Nation gaming subsidiary will pay $450 million for a Mississippi casino currently owned by MGM Resorts. KODE and the Las Vegas Review-Journal report the tribe plans to expand gaming outside of Oklahoma with the purchase. The Gold Strike Tunica Casino is located on the Mississippi River, about 30 minutes from Memphis, and has over 1,100 luxury rooms. It features high-stakes gaming as well as a conference center and dining. The U.S. Army has begun another disinterment at the site of the former Carlisle Indian Industrial School to reunite the remains of eight Native American children with family members. WITF reports the children were from the Washoe, Catawba, Umpqua, Oneida, Ute, and Alaskan Aleute tribes. It's the fifth such disinterment with the remains of 21 Native American children returned to date. The school was operated by the Department of Interior from 1879 until 2018 with the motto, Kill the Indian, Save the Man. More than 10,000 children attended the school from approximately 50 different tribes. More than 180 died from hunger and disease. Starting in 2016, some remains began being returned as tribes reached out to the Department of the Army. The Army reimburses families for their travel to participate in a transfer ceremony. It also funds the cost for transport and reinterment. The Portland Museum of Art and Tribal Leaders held a transfer ceremony recently to return nine objects of cultural patrimony to the Central Council of Clinkett and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. The museum said the objects were collected by a school superintendent in Wrangell and Skagway, Alaska, between 1921 and 1944. After his death, the museum purchased them from a dealer in 1948. The Central Council and the Wrangell Cooperative Association claimed the items in 2002 under the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. The objects include a killer whale hat from the original Chief Shakes House flotilla, robes, a mud shark hat and mud shark shirts, and the storm headdress. 
Kathleen Ash Milby, who is Diné, is curator of Native American art from the museum. She said in a press release that by returning these objects, the museum can begin to, quote, repair a complicated history between indigenous people and museums. The bodies of a missing Brazilian indigenous expert and a British journalist may have been found in the Amazon rainforest. The Guardian reports Bruno Pereira and Dom Phillips went missing a week ago when they were returning from a reporting trip. An aide to the Brazilian ambassador to the UK gave the news to Phillips' family and said the men were tied to a tree. Pereira had faced threats for his work in the region where he helped 26 indigenous tribes monitor and protect their land from illegal loggers, miners, hunters, and fishers. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrak. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. With so many organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. So AARP brings together no-charge employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, discounts, and more at aarp.org slash veterans who support this show. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Shortly after 9 a.m. Sunday morning, Alan Charpentier of Grass Valley was arrested without incident. Nevada County Jail reports he was wanted on charges of robbery and kidnapping. Charpentier has been at large since May 8th, after callers reported an active shooter inside the county store on Tylerfoot Crossing Road in North San Juan. Authorities said he then forced a woman into a vehicle and sped from the store. The victim was able to escape just outside the town of Washington. California Highway Patrol and local law enforcement undertook an initial search of the area, but Charpentier eluded capture until yesterday, when officers spotted him in a stolen vehicle on Freeman Lane in Grass Valley. He has been booked into the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility. This reported by Ubinet and the Union of Grass Valley. The Yuba Harm Reduction Collective will host a screening of the documentary The Wisdom of Trauma at the Nevada Theater in downtown Nevada City, Wednesday, June 15th. The local nonprofit, dedicated to overdose risk mitigation, says ticket profits will help the collective offer the Nevada County community direct access to prevention tools and information. The collective has delivered 679 doses of Narcan and 920 fentanyl test strips since the beginning of the year. Program director Bethany Wilkins says Nevada County has the second highest opioid overdose rate per capita. The documentary examines the relationship between addiction, illness, and trauma. A Q&A will follow the 6 p.m. screening, and tickets will be available at the door. This from the Union of Grass Valley. Turning our attention to regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 50. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 79. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, clear with a low around 33. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 70. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 60. 
Northwest wind from 11 to 15 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 22 miles per hour. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 91. Winds continue with gusts as high as 21 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Long summer days stretch before us, and Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is here to help us fill the time with visits to Western Nevada County's three state parks. Stay tuned for the latest on today's A Walk in the Park. Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is the nonprofit that supports all three Western Nevada County state parks. And we do all kinds of things, and one of the things that we do is to help support state park events. This last weekend, we were very happy to have Humbug Day. We had two years where we had no Humbug Day, and it's been, I think, 53, 54 years that this has been a really special celebration in the downtown area of North Bloomfield, the town site, which is all part of Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. And Humbug Day is a pretty low-key little festival, I guess. We have food. We partner with the Clampers and a few local vendors to provide ice cream and barbecue. Our nonprofit does snow cones and popcorn and root beer floats. We had music. We had storytelling and all kinds of kids' activities. And so the reason I'm saying this in retrospective is if you weren't able to make it to Humbug this year in 2022, and we have not been able to produce and offer that for the last two years due to COVID, I want you to put on your calendar in 2023, the second Saturday in June, is when we welcome people in particular to Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park and to participate and have fun at Humbug Day. Now, there's all kinds of things to do out at Malakoff, even if it's not a special event. There are miles and miles of trails. The museum is open every day. I believe the hours are 10 to 4, maybe 10 to 5. We have town tours on the weekends, and there's just so many things to explore and discover at Malakoff Diggins. So although it's a bit of a drive, and I know gas prices are up, it's a, it's a trip and an adventure well worth it. And I always remind people, if you're going out to Malakoff, do go out Highway 49 toward North San Juan, turn right on Tyler Foot Road and follow the signs to the park. It's about 15 miles from the Tyler Foot Road, Highway 49 intersection. Now at South Yuba River State Park, we access that park a number of ways. It's a linear park, really, all along the South Yuba River, starting at Engelbright, basically, downstream of Bridgeport Bridge. And you cross the river, and that's the first time you see South Yuba River State Park at Pleasant Valley Road in the South Yuba River. There's another crossing at Purden, and another crossing at Highway 49, and another crossing at North Bloomfield Road, Edwards Crossing. And South Yuba River State Parks extends along South Yuba River all the way really up past Malakoff Diggins and Humbug Creek, where that tributary enters the South Yuba River. It's mixed ownership there, but it's forest service land, 
BLM land and state park land. And the South Yuba River is a wild and scenic river and a very, very special place, not just for swimming, but for trails and exploring. If you go to South Yuba River State Park, we have a recently restored bridge at Bridgeport. And really the news this week is the new Jones Bar Trail bypass is now open to the public. The Independence Trail from Highway 49 West has been closed for a couple of years since the Jones Fire. And this week, there is a new trail that takes off from that Independence Trail West. So you park at the normal Independence Trail trailhead at Highway 49, go a little short ways on the old Independence Trail, and then there's a pedestrian trail. It's steep. It takes you down to the South Yuba River at Jones Bar. It's about a 20, 25-minute walk on a brand-new trail. I recommend a trekking pole. It helps because the trail is indeed steep. It's a steep canyon, but it is a brand-new constructed trail to allow people to get to the river in that area. And so we're very pleased to welcome people to there. And this week is really a special time. This is the first annual, I presume it will be annual, but the first ever State Parks Week. And that's going to be from June 14th to June 18th. And you can get all kinds of information statewide at CaliforniaStateParksWeek.org. And I'm going to spell that because it's the abbreviation, C-A, State Parks, plural, week, And you can also access information about that at www.parks.ca.gov. There's all kinds of things happening statewide. Every day is a special day. I don't know of any particular things locally that are happening for State Parks Week, but we really encourage people to explore their state parks become familiar with them. We invite you to become stewards and join in protecting our parks. And every day has a special theme coming up statewide. So Tuesday is Land Acknowledgement Day. Wednesday, the 15th, is Kids Career Day. Thursday, June 16th, is Health and Wellness Day. Friday, June 17th, is Stewardship Day. And Saturday, June 18th, is Partnership and Volunteer Day. We have talked in the past about becoming volunteers for state parks. Unfortunately, locally right now, we have not been able to offer volunteer training. However, we are very hopeful to be able to staff up with our state park partners and offer that volunteer training because it is mandatory so we can get more people working at all the parks. In the meantime... The South Yuba River Citizens League, our partners, are offering river ambassadors and are working with state parks at Bridgeport, at Highway 49, and Edwards Crossing. And volunteers are stationed at those three locations every weekend day now through Labor Day. And we are always in need of volunteers for that program. So I encourage you to check out CIRCLE, S-Y-R-C-L, CIRCLE, the South Yuba River Citizens League, and you can access their website at yubariver.org and check out the River Ambassador Program. Well, that's it for now. I'll see you next time.
That's our newscast for this Monday, June 13th. You can listen to the extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. KVMR gets support from Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5. K-A-R-M-E-N-S, garden.com. And South Yuba Club, offering over 100 classes weekly, including cycling, yoga, swim, pickleball, senior classes, and more. Located in Grass Valley at 130 West Berry Hill Drive. More information online at southyubaclub.com. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. At 6.30, it's the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. Tonight is the first of a two-part series on the late Marion E. Barnes, author, historian, and black community leader in Austin, Texas. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.